and welcome to the Eye on the U podcast, the Miami Heroes, Miami Hurricanes podcast. I'm David Wilson, and I am joined once again by Michelle Kaufman, our Hurricane basketball beat writer here at the Herald. Michelle didn't quite get all the way to the finish line for the Canes. Uh, first, see, first trip to the Final Four in history uh, comes up short against UConn in the semifinals. Uh, we are obviously going to break that down and, and look um, look ahead to next year also, because I think you know, you're seeing Miami way up high in a lot of these way too early rankings, which are frankly, and I think most people who are writing them or even saying kind of less relevant than ever because of the portal and all that kind of stuff. But um, we talked, I mean, as we've gone through this run, we have gone big picture a lot, what this means for the program, what this means for South Florida basketball. Anthony Chang and I actually on the Heat Check podcast spent a long time talking about this it's kind of a cool moment in South Florida basketball where obviously Miami and FAU were in the final four. Dwayne Wade's going into the Hall of Fame. I think he's the reason for a lot of people's basketball love down here. Udonis Haslam's retiring. Uh, a lot of South Florida guys are going to be first-round picks. But just for Miami specifically, um, it has now been uh, almost a week since the season has wrapped up. Um, as we've said a lot, you've covered this team for a long time. You were in school when the program came back. Um, now that you've had kind of some time to reflect on this last week, just what what was this run like from your perspective as, as someone who is kind of as tied in with this program as pretty much anyone who's not, you know, in the university or, or uh, on the team? Yeah, excuse me. I've been covering the team 26 years and uh, since 96. And then before that, in 1985, when I was a student there is when the program came mm-hmm. back. So. I was there for their first game back. I was there for their first tryout. So I've seen it all, really, since 1985 until now. Um, and what I would say is what what I witnessed this weekend in Houston last weekend is, is just like nothing I've ever experienced in, in, in U.M. basketball, which is, first of all, all of the former players, so many of the former yeah. players, even from the 1985 team, Guys like, you know, Bob Schneckenberg, who was a walk-on in that team, Joel Warren, Kevin Presto, these guys, Eric Brown. Guys from that 1985 team showed up, and then a lot of guys from the teams after that showed up, Steve Edwards and, you know, Darius Rice and all these players. They really felt, Jack McClinton, I talked to them, they all felt like for the first time they were part of something. They were part of <clears throat> a brotherhood, yeah. like you see with It's Duke the Duke cliche, the right, the brotherhood, yeah. North the Carolina, brotherhood. yeah. Yeah, those those kind of places, and like the U.M. football has always had yeah. that sort of lineage, yeah. the lineage of players who one follows the other, and they know that they came from something that was important and big. So these guys have all played at U.M. in various eras leading to this moment. And this is what they wanted when they went to UM. This is what they were dreaming of, is to see their program, the University of Miami Hurricanes, be relevant nationally. You know, and they made the tournament, you know, they made the Sweet 16 early on in 2000, mm-hmm. and they, they have little blips, and here and there they had some, you know, some little runs. But for the University of Miami to make it to a Final Four, from where they came from was just such a, a reason for celebration for everyone who's been affiliated with that program. So that lobby, that Hyatt Regency lobby in Houston yeah, was, was like, uh, it was unbelievable. It was an unbelievable scene. 
former players walking around and also football players showed up because, you know, the football players, no offense to the football program, but they haven't had anything much to celebrate in two yeah. decades. They haven't been in position to win a national title. And all of a sudden, the U.M. was in position to win a national title in basketball, not in football. But, you know, there were a lot of big-time players there. Edron James was there. Michael Irvin was there. I think Warren Sapp was there. Uh, Gino Toretta, I think. There was a whole long list of, of football players and basketball alumni who just wanted to be there in the moment. And then on top of that, all of the fans, I mean, for 700 students to travel to Houston yeah. when they couldn't even get 70 students to cross the parking lot to go <laughs> to the Wasco Center, yeah. to see 700 kids in that end zone packed, it was actually the biggest of the four Final Four teams, including UConn, yeah. Miami had the biggest student section. Now, part of it I joked with my daughter is that because UM has students have more money to travel than those other teams. Because cool. there's a yeah. lot of rich kids there. But the truth is, you know, whether it's for that or other reasons, it was packed. I mean, the 700 student tickets were gone, and those yeah. students came and showed out. They they flew to they flew to Houston from Miami which is not easy, and uh, and they were there. And then I believe there were somewhere between five to 10,000. I know for sure there were five. I think it was more like eight to 10,000. Um, you know, there were 5,000 confirmed through the university, and then more than that right. even, you know, they came on their own. So it's the biggest showing and the most excitement that I have ever seen. You know, it makes sense. It's a Final yeah, Four. But, right. I mean, I didn't even expect with a Final Four – for there to be that kind of passion and support from the Miami basketball fans. Yeah. But there were. I think everyone was just – UM fans in general are so ready to feel important again and to feel like they're on the national stage competing for a national title. It doesn't matter what sport it is. They were going to show up, and, and they did, and they were loud, and they looked like a real – you know, they looked like – Duke fans, they look like UNC fans, they look like Kentucky fans, they look like bona fide you know, college basketball fans who showed up for the Final Four. Because a know. lot of the big program, you mentioned Duke, you know, I went to Syracuse, schools that are private schools, right? Smaller, um, I don't know what the exact like enrollment is of all those schools, but I would guess they're relatively similar sized. Um, yeah. You know, Gonzaga is another another private, you know, Villanova, a lot of the powerhouse programs in college basketball are, are private schools. And it like obviously in some ways it like it's suited to be a basketball school because of that where you you know Miami struggles obviously to fill Hard Rock Stadium. There's not oh, there's way more in South Florida, there's more Florida and Florida State and FIU alumni than Miami alumni. But you can fill a basketball arena. Um and it's similar to Duke. It's interesting because Miami does have a national fan base because of the football component where, you know, those people, the, the Walmart fans, I guess is, is what you call them, uh, are, you know, who might live across the country, probably haven't thought a lot about bat, Miami basketball, but if they're like Miami football, maybe maybe they're into this run. Um, so there is an opportunity there. I mean, Miami, but then another part of this that I think is cool, you mentioned the hotel lobby where it was like basically a party and – you know, you look at the way that the 
players greet the, the or the students greet the team whenever they come back to the Wasco Center and they stop and pose for pictures. Like, you know, no disrespect to Miami football because they've kind of earned this by being, you know, the five-time national championship program. But um, the like they're in their own like little bubble in a lot of ways, right? Like mm-hmm. they're not getting yeah. big greet. Like, one, it's a huge team. There's a lot of logistics. It's hard to do something like that. But like, it's the access in the community is is not quite the same as basketball. There has never been that level of interest. You know, Miami football does good camps and stuff, but just in terms of like that, if Miami football was in the lobby before the national, it was in a hotel before a national championship. I don't know if you could have done that. Um, Miami basketball because they've had to fight a little bit harder. You know, they're little. They're like a little old program, right? It's, I mean, you they are. They're around the weight room. There, like not that crazy. The obviously the gym is not super impressive the um you know they're they're a small small program like a lot of these private schools are and obviously they get bigger and bigger as, as they have more success so it's it's not like un it's not totally out of the realm of possibility that like in some ways Miami is suited to be a basketball school probably never will be because of how important football is down here and and the level of talent recruiting wise but Miami like it has the a lot of the hallmarks of a good basketball program, and, and I think you saw a little bit of that during this run. Oh, for sure. I mean, it was, you know, yeah, every one of those send-offs, there was a huge crowd for the send-off, a huge crowd. Even at 3 in the morning, fans were showing up, and, you know, and the players in Coachella are very, very accessible, which is yeah. another part of it. Yeah, and, I guess that's the word I was <clears> They welcome very it. Very accessible, yeah. They love it. I mean, Coach L wants people to come. He wants to shake everyone's hand, and he wants to take selfies, and he wants the players to be connected, and he and doesn't run around the campus. Right? He knows you got to get people in that building. you got to be a little more accessible. Yep. And, yeah. Yeah, he's a promoter. I mean, he is he is trying to promote the program. He's not just the coach of the basketball team. He's trying to promote that program. He goes mm-hmm. out every day to get his little smoothie out in the student union and sits around and chats up whoever will walk by and talk to him, you know. So, um, you know, a big part of it is him – is what he's done to reach out to the local community in Coral Gables and Pinecrest and also the student community on campus. They've made it a real family, yeah. uh, you know, a real small town family team and following, you know, even though the U is like a big national brand, the basketball program is still pretty small school. You know, they had the, you know, Selection Sunday was just, you know, a little thing on campus and, and people could just wander in and watch it. You know, I mean, that doesn't happen no. at big schools and stuff uh, like that. So there's nowhere else in the ACC. I mean, maybe like Wake Forest or some of these other really small schools, but yeah, it's, you, you don't see that. Right. So anyway, it was really fun. It was really fun to see. And, and yeah, the vibe, I mean, something was definitely born. Something, something is brewing, you know, this year and reaching the final four is the it's really the you know it's the penultimate but it's really the ultimate in college basketball. Other you know, than winning, talking about yeah. that. you don't hang a banner for about... runner up. You hang a banner for Final Four. You hang a banner for Final Four, and it's not like you know in the other sports if you make the semifinals of a football championship series, whatever, that's not the same. But when you make yeah. the Final Four, that's like Final Four is a thing. It's capital F, capital yeah. F. You yeah. know, it's a real. It's a real accomplishment to make the Final Four. And then if you happen to win the championship, it's, you know, even higher. But making the Final Four for the University of Miami is so much bigger than even the making the Elite Eight last year. And 
doing those back-to-back, they're the only team that was. You know, they're the only team that mm-hmm. was of the Final Four. They're the only one that had been the Elite Eight last year. So they've had really the most consistent run of any program in the country. It's hard years, to yeah. imagine, but it's true. They had Elite Eight, and they lost to the eventual champion, Kansas. And then this year, they go to the Final Four and lose to the champion, yeah. UConn. So both years, they really had amazing runs, lost to the champion in both cases. In this case, the 13-point loss to UConn was their slimmest margin of victory in their whole tournament. 13 points was the smallest margin of victory for UConn in the entire tournament. They beat the Gonzaga by 28 points. They were beating everyone by 22.5 average points. And so to lose, you know, to beat Miami by 13, you know, and then and then win the championship by 15, you know, there's no shame in what Miami did at all. They had an amazing season. I think everybody knows that, recognizes that, and, and there's a lot of interest going forward. I'm going to be really curious to see, but I really do believe that there's going to be a huge uptick in attendance starting from yeah. the beginning of the season. Yeah, and, and the interesting thing, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, when they went to the Elite Eight uh, two years ago, that was a little bit of a – Cinderella run, right? They were a 10 seed. Um, they were good that year. You know, they were, what, they finished top four in the ACC, right, that year. So it wasn't like they were out of nowhere. Um, but, you know, had to pull a bunch of upsets. This year they were a five seed, so there were upsets along the way. But they won the ACC, and, and they weren't a big underdog in any game they played. Like, it was – this the, first, the the Elite Eight run you could write off a little bit if you were, like, a skeptic of being like, oh, they just got hot, like – you know, double-digit seeds make the Elite Eight or even Final Four sometimes. Um, this year, there, there was any of that was totally dashed by what Miami did, where they had kind of the most – they actually had the most impressive run, I think, to the Final Four of anyone. They did. Just they in had terms to beat of, the number one Just in terms seed, of the seeds the they beat. Yeah. I mean, UConn yeah. beat people up, but Miami beat really good teams all the way to Houston. And then, obviously, uh, the only team they lose to is the best team in the country. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they beat a number one. First, everyone said, well, maybe they'll get by Drake. But, oh, then they have Indiana with Trace Jackson Davis. Oh, you know. And then they got through that. And then, oh, well, now the number, number one is Houston, Houston yeah. the best defense in the country. They got through that. You know, scored 85 or 89, whatever, against them. Then then Texas. Oh, Texas, number two seed. So they knocked off Houston and Texas and Indiana. And, you know, and they played UConn, you know, Not really as well, not as well as they could have, but it wasn't embarrassing. They got it to eight points in the second half, and, you know, it it was, they could have played much better. They really did not, they didn't play like themselves, but part of that was UConn also. Yeah, I I don't want to, I don't think there's that much point of breaking down what exactly happened in that game. Now, I mean, we will because we're going to talk about what's next for this program, and obviously they're going to learn from what their weaknesses were. I think in a lot of ways the weaknesses we thought they had all year long just eventually caught up to them. The UConn size seemed to really bother Miami. Yep. Um, obviously Miami doesn't start anyone taller than 6'7". Uh, and, you, can, you know, the UConn is a great – you know, they were basically better rounded than Miami, right? Miami, great offense, subpar defense. UConn, great yep. offense, great defense. Like, it, it, the game kind of went, I think, away if you drew up, like, how Miami was going to – how their run was going to end, it was going to end kind of like that. Um, but it, it it sets a good foundation, obviously, as we've said, for, for next year because, um, you know, Miami 
proved they can play with anyone. And I think, you know, this year was unusual. I think UConn, like in terms of Ken Palm and, and some of the other numbers, like they finished here at number one there, but it was a really down year at the top of college basketball. Of course, maybe that's just where we're going now because of uh, the G League and Transfer Portal and, and all that. You know, this was the first Final Four ever without a single McDonald's All-American in it. Um, so I think Miami should should look at this and say this was great, but um, we might have to be better in future years if we want to keep replicating this year over year. Um, but, you know, the program is trending up faster than it has at any point. And it's, you know, it's crazy because if you throw out the FBI, those three, lo- was it three losing seasons, I think? Um, yeah. Three years they missed the tournament at least. You know, they were kind of starting this trajectory in a lot of ways right before that, which was the, the year they obviously got upset by Loyola in the first round. That team was in the top 25 for a lot of that year, had multiple NBA guys, um, you know, first-round pick in Lonnie Walker, uh, a guy in Bruce Brown who's, like, a legit, like, NBA right. star role player. Um, and then it just kind of got derailed, and they had to start over a little bit, and, and now – if those three years hadn't happened, it'd be, it'd be fascinating to see where this program is now because Jim Laranega's clearly figured something out. Um, he's done it despite losing some assistant coaches um, to head coaching jobs. Um, and, yeah, Miami's in a better spot as a basketball program than they've ever been. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's definitely onto something. And, you know, his staff did a great job. And, you know, he had to replace Chris Caputo his lead assistant forever. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, Bill Courtney's done an amazing job and all the assistants did a really good job. Um, yeah. And, you know, the, yeah, the game has totally changed. I mean, coach all said at the end, he said, you know, basically he doesn't like it, but he said, I don't even know how many players we have coming back because, uh, because of the transfer portal. And, you know, you would think, why would you want to transfer from a team that made the elite eight and the final four with a hall of fame coach uh-huh. and you're living in Miami in the sunshine why would you want to go somewhere else? Well, you know, there are a couple of guys there who want – they want minutes. They want yeah, more minutes. Yeah, there are a couple of the guys who are going to play. I think Anthony Walker needed a little bit of a change of scene. You know, it just was not totally working for him as the backup – basically as the backup center, which is probably not the best role mm-hmm. for him. Um, right. So, yeah. But, yeah, they, they've got – I mean, it's interesting that he – well, one, as we've said a lot, he's always been a transfer guy. Obviously, it's crazier now where – like you said, there's uncertainty of who's even going to be on your team. Miami always did a very good job of going and getting other guys and keeping right. guys in oh, the Right. Oh, I'm sure he's got – and now they've got – I mean, he's always done great with transfers, Coach Laranega, yeah. you know, always, dating back to Shane Larkin and, you know, Kenny Kaji, Trey McKinney-Jones, Andrew yeah. Rodriguez, Sheldon McClellan, Charlie Moore last year now, and Jordan Miller was a transfer. And then this year – Nigel Pack and, and mm-hmm. Norchad O'Meara, who just came right in and slipped right in, and, and you know the chemistry was amazing. So he's done. He and his staff have done a very good job of finding players who blend right into their system, who buy into to buy into his way, and have good character. They yeah. really are all good character guys. So they're not selfish and they're willing to just step in and and do whatever the team was doing before. Um, and I'm sure now. The list of players who want to get into this program is is much longer than it was when you're coming off a of Final Four yeah. and Elite Eight back to back. They're going to have their pick of transfers, and you know these transfers. Every kid out there who doesn't get to play his freshman year is transferring. Every kid is playing fewer minutes than they think they should be playing, or that their AAU coaches think they should mm-hmm. be playing, or their parents, whoever it is that's in their ear. Those kids are all going to be lining up to to play at Miami, even though they may not get. 
that many minutes because Miami still has, you know, some good players coming back. So yeah. it'll be really interesting. I don't think we can project at all. Right. Like you were saying, Miami's ranked number three nationally in some of these uh, early, early polls. Yeah. I saw like FAU is, is in the top ten, number nine or whatever. Um, so, you know, they're being ranked high, but we really don't know because we don't know what Miami's team is going to be. Here it is. We don't know what Miami's team is going to be, and we don't know what the other teams mm-hmm. are going to be either. Yeah. So, yeah, right, let's take a quick break, and then we will. Uh, I want to come back and kind of like run through what this roster might look like next year and how this team can sustain it. Okay, so I want to just run through as we said. It's it's hard to know exactly, but I want to run through what we're looking at because obviously Jordan Miller is out of eligibility. He's gone. Uh, first of all, shout out to Jordan Miller. Um, incredible uh, two year run for him at Miami. Uh, yes. Out of nowhere, a little bit. You know, he was not the the big acquisition, I guess, that off season. Um, wound up fitting into that role perfectly. I think turned himself into an NBA player. Certainly, a guy's going to get a shot. Um, the other big decision, I guess, that Miami will be waiting on is what Isaiah Wong is going to do, who can come back for another year, um, but also was coming off an All-American season and I think would certainly get drafted. I don't know if he's a first-round pick, but I think certainly would get drafted if he goes pro. Um, Luka Poplar, I guess, would be the other guy who maybe has some some pro aspirations. Um, I think last year. And not yet. I don't last think. Last week I was thinking. I don't even shot, know. I think I'm not even draft. sure Isaiah would get drafted. It's so. This draft is not good. It's, I don't it's, think. It's really tough. It's really tough. Um, you look at the other guards at Miami's hat, you know, yeah. it's very hard to make it in the NBA. They, the, the guys that they have to guard are bigger and better in the NBA. So you can be a terrific college player. I mean, I've talked to. You know, there's one NBA scout in particular that I know well, and I asked him about the UM players, and he's like, you know, you can be a terrific college player, and that doesn't always translate to the NBA. You know, some of it is just body size and defense, Mm -hmm. and, you know, the people you have to cover are very different from the people that you're covering in college. So, Yeah, that's actually um, why I think Luke is a better prospect than than, uh, Isaiah. He's bigger, stronger, um, longer. Yeah, he has more of the NBA body. You know, you say the prototypical NBA body. He was not good in the UConn game. He was great in the run, not great in the UConn game. Um, So, yeah, those are the two decisions. Obviously, the NIL factor plays a big role. You know, three years ago, I think Isaiah certainly would have been gone, um, where you have the opportunity, even if you – don't get drafted. You probably wind up on a G League roster or play professionally in Europe. Um, and again, I think he's more like two-way contract, probably caliber than than that. Um, you make good money there. You can make, even if not the same money in, in college, you can make comparable. Um, Wuga again, I think it's going to be. I'll be very interested to see what kind of feedback he gets because again, I, I think this draft falls off pretty quickly, and he's young and, and talented and, and big. And mm-hmm. I wonder what kind of interest he'll get um but yeah it's for, for both i mean certainly for isaiah i think it's going to come down to the nil situation um and uh, i guess i shouldn't say that entirely because some guys just want to go play professional some basketball. guys just want to go some guys been, just want to go but the, isaiah is not a long time. <clears throat> he's been in college a long time but he also loves college <laughs> yeah. and he's not one of those he's not a flashy guy you know like mm-hmm. i mentioned i think the other time when he was named ACC Player of the Year, the way he celebrated is he went to Fridays with his family. You know, um, he's not a guy who's he's not a guy who's like 
dying to get a really fancy car and yeah. be seen on South Beach, and you know that's not him. Yeah, I think the that's question is more: Do you want to do you want to you know get to be a full time basketball player instead of having to go to class and stuff? So that he's going to be certainly right. he's the one to monitor. I'm sure Jim Laranega has met with him already. They're figuring it out. Um, NIL again will play a role, I'm sure, but. Um, Beyond that, Miami. Either way, Miami's going to have some some holes to fill on this team. Even if Wong comes back, they need to find that uh, Miller replacement. Um, and as we said, they've been um, they're going to be in the mix with everyone. Nil will help, but also just Jim Laranega is always in the mix with everyone. And um, like you said, you go to Miami, got a chance to compete for probably a national title, and Jim Laranega is a really good developer of talent. So um, I, I think Miami is – they haven't been necessarily, like, linked to a lot of names yet. Obviously, the fact their season went longer than a lot of teams mean they haven't been able to work the portal in the way that some of these schools uh, that have already been knocked out – or that were knocked out earlier have been able to. Yeah, but... the way it was really – it's really uh, – Coach Al was saying, and some other people have mentioned, too, it's really not fair that – the, the more you opens, win, yeah, in like middle yeah, the more yeah. you win, the harder it is for you to, to work the portal because you're working on, on trying to still win games in the NCAA yeah. tournament. Like they really maybe shouldn't even open the portal or allow any activity, even though people would obviously talk behind the scenes. But yeah, yeah, yeah. they should really wait till the tournament ends, you know, yeah. um, because the teams that were in the tournament are disadvantaged in that case, you know. Yeah, a lot of so, the big names still I'm out sure there, though. It'll be interesting. Hunter Dickinson doesn't you know? It seems like he's more of the Kansas, Kentucky, or he's going to go home to Maryland or Georgetown. Um, set, you know, a lot of interesting centers, which I would think will be one of the priorities, especially with Anthony Walker gone. Kellel Ware from Oregon, who was a five-star recruit and had kind of an underwhelming freshman year. Um, those are kind of thought of as, as two of the top guys in the portal. I, I would just in terms of positions, you expect them to try to fill. Well, what do you think they yeah, might be Yeah, I mean, I for? think size, yeah, they have to have another guard, you know, because they, I don't know what's happening with Isaiah, but for right. sure they have to replace Jordan Miller. And uh, and then, uh, you know, size. I mean, it, it showed that, uh, I mean, Norchad O'Meara was, he was, the, by the way, he was the leading rebounder, rebounder in the yeah. entire tournament. He had 60 rebounds, which was more than anybody. <clears throat> so he did an amazing job, but he's 6'7". And when they went up against UConn, um, they, were able to, they were able to limit him. They were able yeah. to limit him, and he was not able to to dominate the paint the way he did against everybody else. So mm-hmm. I think they really could use, yeah, you know, a manly man, a big <laughs> guy with muscles, a big guy like Norchev, you know, build but taller. Right. You know, yeah. 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 I, I think – you look at what UConn had, and and honestly, San Diego State to the same extent, although their offense was pretty hor- horrible. Um, uh, depth, and I, I think part of that for Miami, they're going to need like Harlan Beverly and uh, Ben Joseph. Like those guys need to become. Those guys were good during the tournament run. They need to take probably a, another step and be like. Well, Bensley, not a huge let me just off. tell you, Bensley, Bensley's one who may be looking at a portal. Yeah, that's the other thing. He wants to start. That the other thing is the Isaiah decision is going Has to trickle, trickle down. down effects. Yes, it will because I think you know uh, a couple of those guys want to have more minutes, and if they're going to still be behind Isaiah Wong and Nigel Pack, then maybe they will still be. You know they'll be they'll still be up coming off the bench and maybe they want to start somewhere. So I don't know. I think that one is still up in the air. Yeah. That's yeah. just my my that's my hunch from my an educated hunch. Let me put it that way. Yeah, Pat Pac O'Meara and Wuga seem pretty much certain to come back. 
again, barring anything surprising with, with Luga. Isaiah, what, what do you say, 50-50-ish? Probably seems like a fair... Yeah, like, I mean, I like really a real know. It's, it's, yeah. He I probably doesn't he even know fun. yet. He probably doesn't even know yet. Right. Yeah, I don't know what he's going to do. But that, that's obviously a huge decision. What You know, it yeah. affects the other guys on the team, too. Well, and then know? if he goes, like you said, Bensley Joseph wants to start, but is Jim Laranega, like... Is he going to be fine with that, or is he going to go after an L.J. Cryer or uh, you know, Brandon Murray from, from Georgetown as a, as a guy from the D.C. area? Miami's always recruited that area well. Um, right. He's one of the top guys in the portal. Um, Caleb Love is in the portal. Like, there, there are some guys who are – you know you can bring them in, plug them in, and, and not only are they going to be starters for you, they're probably not going to be as good as Isaiah Wong and win ACC Player of the Year, but – you know, they're going to be all conference caliber talent, and I, I don't think Jim Laranega is going to settle for, like, a rebuild year after the year they had, and especially with Pack and Omir are definitely going to be back. And like I said, if Wuga's back, that's a you – know, oh, those, I mean, those are three all-conference guys. Yeah, those are three all-conference He has very high hopes for Wuga. I mean, Coach L loves Wuga, and he has really improved from one year to the next, and, and – Coach L is just trying to, for him to develop a mid-range jumper. That's the big thing that he's trying to get him to mm-hmm. do. And he said that otherwise he's just, you know, his free throw shooting is great. He's become one of the top defenders on the team. And he's just really developed from last year to this year. And Coach L has big, big plans for him. He really does. And I know he's been talking to him about that. So I would assume, you know, that he would be in on that plan because you see how much he's already improved. And if he improves like that another whole year, um, his stock is going to really rise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. I think we can just about wrap things up there, unless you've got any final thoughts on. I, I again, I think it's hard to preview next year. I want. To, I think either way, Miami's going to be really good next year. Because even if you lose Wong and obviously Miller, and you know they'll get some replacement. But even if it's not like an all comp, even if you don't land on another Norshad Omir in the portal this year, they'll be competent guys. That starting. The, that three, that three with one transfer who's like pretty good and Bensley, that's a pretty good starting lineup. That's gonna be a really competitive starting lineup. Um, but the yeah. portal makes it hard to know exactly the ceilings this team can hit. Yeah. Anyway, uh, thanks again for listening, and we will talk to you guys next week.